Hey, Grace Cabinet, thank you for joining us today. Grace Online, you know, in this COVID situation, uh, obviously a lot of you are choosing to be safer at home, and we fully support that. But I want you to know that we certainly miss having you uh, in the building. Um, but in this time, it's great that we can connect, get into God's Word through Grace Online. So again, grateful that you would take time this morning to connect with us in worship. Today, we're actually launching a new series over, over the next few weeks. We're going to talk about the issue of idolatry in this series called God's at War. Now, whether you're aware of it or not, like there's this ongoing struggle or war um, over who or what your allegiance is to, over who or what your worship is, is given to. Now, what I know from my own struggles, there are, there's things, there's created things um, that want to take the place of God in my life. And I think if you're honest in an assessment of your own life, you probably have that, that same struggle. And we can be easily distracted. And before we know it, we can be worshiped, created things instead, instead of the creator. It's an issue of divided devotion. It's an issue of idolatry. Now, now when we hear the term idolatry today, we think, well, I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, when we hear the word idolatry, we think of uh, pagan countries, pagan nations where people are bowing to things that they've made, things they've fashioned, or maybe they're bowing to the sun or the moon. And so we think, well, that's what idolatry is. So certainly it couldn't be a problem for me. Or maybe when you think of idolatry, you think of uh, images like, like what you see on the screen. Uh, possibly this is what pops into your mind. Uh, we have here an image of Buddha. We have an image of the golden calf. Maybe you're thinking about that when you think about idolatry because that's what you think of idolatry. You think, well, I'm not bowing to anything I fashion. I don't have like this golden calf in my house that I'm bowing to. But today I want to begin to help you think about idolatry in a little different, in a little different way and that there could possibly be Gods that we've established in our lives. I know in the midst of preparing this series, I've had to do some searching in my own heart. And what I discovered is there were some gods in my life that I didn't even know that was there. So in the process of developing this very series, I've had to do some repenting myself, addressing some of these created things, these little gods that have found their way into my life. And possibly the same will happen for you as we work our way through this series. But possibly this concept of, of idolatry seems primitive or, or even ir- irrelevant. But I would want you to know, interesting, it's the number one issue talked about in the Bible. Matter of fact, every book in the Bible in some way addresses this issue of idolatry. In, in the first five books of the Bible, uh, there's actually 50 laws or 50 directives against I- idolatry. In, in Judaism, there's um, f- four different things that people could be stoned for, and one of those was idolatry. And so that should like cause us to say, whoa, this is like maybe a bigger issue, and possibly, possibly there's some issues of idolatry in our own lives. Because I would suggest to you today, this is not just an issue of the past, it's an issue of the present. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be working through and and possibly you're going to discover in your own life some points, some places uh, of idolatry. And what we must understand is that there's this constant battle, this constant war. That's why we, we've called, we've titled this series, God's at War. There's this constant war going on, and what's at issue is, is the heart. See, we're directed to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. 
But in the process of life, we can be distracted, we can be deceived, and before we know it, we've created like little gods, little gods that are competing with the one true God. And the competition is for this, it's for your worship, it's for your allegiance, it's for your pursuit, it's for your priority. You know, as we look at life through, through this lens, it becomes clear that there's a war going on. The gods are at war, and their, their strength is not to be underestimated. These gods clash for the throne of your heart, and much is at stake. Like everything about you, everything you do, everything you hope or dream or wish depends on this. It depends on which gods win the war. I think we have a, a living illustration of this in a, in a familiar story in the New Testament it's a story about a, a young man that's known as the rich young ruler. We don't have his name, but that's the title he's given. And he comes to Jesus asking the right question. His question is, Jesus, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus responds to that and says, well, you, you, you need to keep the commandments. And he says, which commandments? Obviously, he was into the details. And, and Jesus begins to talk about you know, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony. And the young man's pretty excited because he's like, hey, I've kept all of those. I've checked off all of those boxes. And, and then Jesus says this last thing to him. He says, there's only one thing you lack. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and, and you'll have treasures in heaven. And at this, the young man went from a state of gladness to a state of sadness. It was because the scripture says he had great wealth. And I would submit to you that the wealth wasn't the problem. The money wasn't really the problem. Um, the problem was is that the money had become a God. He had a God in his life that was competing for the very place that Jesus wanted to take in his life. And he went away sad. Why? Because there was a God. There was a God that was competing for that allegiance, that was keeping him from truly surrendering and fully following Jesus Christ. And that's just one illustration of how we can have gods in our lives that are warring in our hearts and warring for our hearts. Well, you see, idolatry is not just about bowing before statues that we've created, nor is it like an issue of the past. Idolatry is a present crisis in our, in our lives, and I believe a present crisis in our land. See, the problem isn't that, that, uh, the problem is that we create these things that, that want to take the place for God. And at the moment that happens, um, that thing becomes like a God in our lives. It, it replaces God in the position that he wants to take in our lives. And, and that then becomes the, the very definition of idolatry. That's why I would say idolatry is not just an issue. I believe it, it is the issue. Idolatry isn't just one of many sins. Rather, it's, it's the great sin that all other sins come from. So if you start digging deeper into your life, if there's a problem and you start digging deeper in your life, oftentimes, many times, you're going to discover there's below the symptoms, there's a root. There's a root of the problem. And oftentimes, the root of the problem is idolatry. There's something in your life that's taken the very place that God desires to take. At that point, we have established a God, a little g God, in our lives. See, a God is what we sacrifice for. And it's what we pursue. That's, we need to understand that. We're going to talk about throughout, that throughout the series. It's anything that we elevate above the pursuit and pr- priority of the one true God. The, anything can become an idol in our lives once it becomes a substitute for God in our lives. Once it takes the place of God in our lives. What have we done? We, we've just fallen prey to idolatry. We've just established a God 
in our lives. And here's the challenge. Oftentimes, it's not just the bad things. Even commendable things, good things can become gods in our lives when they become a substitute for, when they take the place of, or they have greater priority in our lives than God. And God refuses to be second. He'll not be second. He'll not be third. God desires and God demands first place, first priority in your life. Kyle Adelman says it really well. He says, God declines to sit atop an organizational flow chart. He is the organization. He's not interested in being the president of the board. He is the board. And life doesn't work until everyone else sitting around the table in the boardroom of your heart is fired. And God's not saying this because he's insecure. No, the God who created us, the God who brought this whole world into existence, knows how we best function. And he knows that we are created to live in relationship with him. And without that, like, life doesn't work well. That's when we come to crisis. That's when we come to problems. That's when we get overwhelmed, when we're looking to something else other than God to be the source, the security, the place of provision for our lives. That's why God says, I'm not going to be second place. I don't want to be like in the passenger seat. No, I, I want to be the one who's, who's driving the car. I want to be the one who's directing your life. You know, as we come to Scripture, we find this both in the prior covenant and the new covenant. And today I want us to look at two different passages of Scripture. First, we want to go to the prior covenant in Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 through 6. You know, as the children of Israel came out of Egypt, uh, as they were on their way to the promised land, um, they had been 400 years as slaves in Egypt. And they had begun to worship the gods of the Egyptians. And so as God's leading them to the promised land, he begins to bring direction and begins to build some boundaries in their lives. He begins to give them some directives as to how they should relate, not only to him, but to one another. And so as we come to Exodus chapter 20, we have what we know as the Ten Commandments, Ten Directives. The first four address our relationship with God. The last six address our relationship with one another. And so as we look to Exodus chapter 20, verse 2, I I want you to notice how God directs, how God calls us to a place of allegiance to him. This is how the scripture reads, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children uh, for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Notice what's clearly stated in in this passage of Scripture. Two things. The first is this. The God who loves us demands allegiance to him for our good, for our benefit. So this is not God acting on behalf of what's good for him. He's acting on what's good for us. Therefore, he says, hey, here's the guideline. Man, you have to be committed. You have to be devoted. You have to be following me. And again, he demands this not because he's insecure, not because God needs us. Listen, he doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But what he knows is, again, we function best in right relationship with him. The second thing we we discover in this passage of Scripture in Exodus is that we are created to worship the creator 
not the created. To worship the one who's given us life, not the one who's, not the stuff that, that we fashion. Notice again, the scripture says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or earth below. See, the profound wisdom of the second commandment is that anything in the world can be hammered into an idol. Anything of the created order we can take, and if we're not careful, we take that which has been created and we make it the point of our worship, the point of our focus, the point of our priority. Remember, it gets interesting, while Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, that the children of Israel down below, under the leadership of Aaron, Moses' brother, they're like tired of waiting. Like, why is Moses taking so long? What's happened to Moses? And it's interesting, while Moses is receiving these commandments, commandments, they actually convince Aaron to gather goat and to fashion an idol for them, a golden calf that they began to worship, that they trade the worship of the creator for the worship of that of the created. How many of you know that's not a good trade? They begin to bow to this thing that they fashioned by their own hands. And please don't think, well, that's just the problem for the children of Israel. Listen, if we're not careful, this is what I know. We can take the things that have been created, cars, houses, jobs, money, and they can become that of the pursuit of our, they become gods in our lives and for our lives. Again, anything, anything can become a God if it becomes a substitute for the one true God in your life. So that's the prior covenant. As we look to the new covenant, we find God giving a similar direction in Mark chapter 12, verse 28, 29, and 30. We have one of the religious leaders come into Jesus, and I want you to notice the question that he asks. He says, Jesus, out of all of the commandments, which is the most important? And this is how Jesus answers him. Notice the priority. Notice the first, the most important one. Answer Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue, which really is the issue of the heart. What's your heart going after? What are you looking for? What are you longing for? What are you giving your allegiance to? It's that that Jesus was addressing. The most important commandment addresses who who we're worshiping. So that's a good question for you today. What is it that's bringing worship for you? And what is it that you're committing worship to? What is your allegiance to? The second directive we find here, and what Jesus says is this, we're directed to love God with all of our being. It's interesting that Jesus didn't say, well, you're to love God. That's the first and greatest commandment. Notice how detailed he is in what he says. He says, you love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. In other words, with all of your being. That Jesus defines how we should be in pursuit of God in our lives. He defines how we should be in right relationship with God. But again, what there's this war, there's this conflict, a war going on. There's gods that are competing for your affection. Listen, you've got to be aware of that. In our present culture, where you're processing life, this is what I know. There's gods that's competing for your affection. There's gods that's competing for your worship. So we have to be aware of this, of this war, this battle, this conflict that's happening. Now there's three things, there's three things, three, excuse me, three things that are critical for you to understand. The, the first is this. Your heart is the battleground of the gods. What do they want? They want your heart. Not interested in your money. 
Not so much interested in, in the, the stuff that you get. What do they want? The gods want, want your heart. To your heart is Bunker Hill. It's where the gods gather to wage war. And whatever God wins the day is the throne of your heart. It's the gods that we create and the little gods that we pursue that cause us to have this, that cause us to have a divided heart. See, there's an ongoing struggle as to who or what will rule and reign in your heart. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Why? Because the scripture goes on to say, out of it is there, there's the wellspring of life. So we're to, well, we're to guard our heart. Now, what we, what we know today is the heart, speaking of science, is this muscle in our body that's pumping blood throughout our body, pretty significant. But in Hebrew culture, the heart spoke of the center, the center part of the being. Like life flows out of the heart. That's why the battleground is for your heart. So we need to understand the place of the conflict, the place of the war, the battle is for the allegiance of your heart. I, I think we, we also need to understand that what you're searching for and what you're chasing after reveals the God that's winning the war in your heart. Now, this is a bit difficult for us to hear, a bit difficult for us to embrace, because it's probably going to reveal some things in your life. But what you're searching for, what you're chasing after, reveals really what's happening in your heart. And the challenge is most of the time, most of the time it's not the bad things. And I can't emphasize that enough. But for example, if I had a desire to grow a big church that was about my ego, like bigger church, bigger ego, uh, how many of you know growing a church is not wrong, but when it's about my ego, at that point, that thing I'm chasing after has become a God. Now, growing a church, again, not a bad thing, it's a good thing. But when that is my focus and that's my pursuit and that's my priority and that's how I define my worth, at that time, I've taken something good and I've turned it into something bad. Or, or we could talk about money. Listen, money's not bad. Money's not evil. It's, it's just a tool. It's just a thing. But if we're not careful, we can so chase after money that money becomes a God in our lives. So what are you chasing after? What is it, what is it that you're focused on? That makes a statement, a statement about your heart. Therefore, idolatry is really adultery. It's giving your affections to something else or someone else instead of God. It's being unfaithful to the one who's created you, unfaithful to the one who's given you life. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 16, and I encourage you, get your Bible out, read the whole chapter. But in Ezekiel 16, there's this allegory for the nation of Israel. And let me just summarize this story for you. Basically, God's saying to Israel, Israel, I rescued you. I provided for you. I covered you. I brought you into this abundant place, yet you've given your love to another. You've committed spiritual adultery. Matter of fact, I'm going to read just a couple verses out of Ezekiel chapter 16, beginning with verse 15. Listen to how the scripture reads. But you trusted in your beauty and you used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by, and your beauty became his. You, you took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where you carried on your prostitution. Such things should not happen, nor should they ever occur. You also took the fine jewelry that I gave you, the, the jewelry made of gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. 
And you took your embroidery clothes to put on them, and you offered them my oil and incense before them. Also the food I provided for you, the fine flour, the olive oil, the honey I gave you to eat, you offered as fragrant incense before them. That is what happened, declares the Sovereign Lord. Wait, God's, God's calling them out. Why? Because they've committed spiritual adultery. And listen, hear me, friend, the same thing can happen in your life. When you give your affection to another, when you give something else, that place of priority that only God desires, then what's happening? You're committing spiritual adultery. What is it? It's, a, it's idolatry. Listen, this could be happening in your heart and life. So is there something, is there something, something in your life that's edged God out of your life? As I wrap this up today, I, I want to leave you with, with four questions. These are heart questions. These are questions really to kind of help you assess in your own life as we're launching into this series, just to, just to kind of guide you in a, in a heart search. So here's the four questions I would encourage you to ask yourself today. The first question is this, what disappoints you? When we feel overwhelmed by disappointment, it, it's a good sign that something has become more important in our lives than God. See, disproportionate disappointment reveals that we've placed intense hope or, or longing in something other than God. So here's the question. What is it that, that disappoints you? Here's a second question. What do you complain about the most? See, what we complain about reveals what really matters to us. Whining shows us what has power over us. So if you constantly complain about your financial situation, maybe money, maybe money's become more important to you than God. Or if you constantly whine about your spouse and your sex life, maybe sexual pleasure has become your God. Or if you constantly complain about a lack of respect in the office, then, then maybe you've placed what people think about you in a, in a greater place and position than God. So, but what is it that you complain about? Because that point of complaint can reveal like a deeper issue that potentially there's a, there's a God that you've established in your life. Here's a third question. This is a tough one. What do you make financial sacrifices for? You know, the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where your money goes shows what might be a God in your life. So, so take a look at your bank statements or, or take a look at your, um, your credit card statements, and pretend pretend that you're looking at someone else's statement. So separate yourself from it. Pretend that you're looking at someone else's statement and see what the money's going to. And that may reveal, like, there's a God that you've established in your life. And here's a final question. Where do you run for comfort? Where, where do you go when you're hurting? Let's say that it's been a horrible, terrible day at the office, and you come home. What do you turn to? Is it comfort food? Is it like ice cream? Um, is it binging on TV? Is it um, maybe calling up your friend and just whining and complaining? Is, is it pornography? Is it what, what might it be? What, what is it that you might turn to other than God for comfort? You know, Psalm forty six one says that God is our rock and our refuge, an ever present help in time of trouble. Even so much so that when the world's giving away, what He's there to bring comfort. So I ask you today. What do you turn to for comfort? Because that might reveal that place where you've established a God in your life and you were not even aware of it. Like it kind of snuck up on you that it, that it slipped in and you were, you were unaware of it. Listen, these are tough questions. These are, these are hard questions. But if we're going to confront the God's waging war in our lives, then we have to be willing 
to get honest with ourselves. As I said at the beginning of this message, as I've been working on this series, as I've kind of opened up my life, I've discovered Wow, I had some gods in my life. There's some repenting that I've had to do. Why? Because as I got into God's word and as I got honest with myself and I've asked myself difficult questions, I found some things in my life that I needed to address, some adjustments I needed to make. And I believe the same will happen for you. As you get honest about your life, as you get honest about the questions, and as you then look to God's word and what God's word's calling you to, I think you may discover that there's some gods at war in your life, and it's those little gods that may be competing against the one true God. You know, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Again, the, the issue is the issue of the heart. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Today, We want to give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to do that. I'm going to ask you to pray with me right now. Lord, we humbly come before you today, realizing that we're living in a world today where the gods are at war. And it's not just out there, God. Oftentimes it's what we have to deal with in our own lives. And so, Lord, today we would take this passage of Scripture in Psalm 139, and we would just pray that Holy Spirit search us. Holy Spirit, shine the spotlight in us. And we, we can be so distracted, we can be so deceived in that there's, there's gods that are competing for affection and there's places in our lives, maybe where we've committed spiritual adultery. So Holy Spirit, wreck us over those. Holy Spirit, reveal those. And today, as we, as we identify, as we recognize some of those things, God, we just repent. God, forgive us for being distracted. Forgive us for giving things that have been created a greater place in our lives than you, the Creator. Forgive us, forgive us, Lord, for chasing after things, temporary things, God, more than we chase after you. God, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, may our hearts be fully devoted to you. And Lord, not just in this message, but throughout this series, Holy Spirit, we just invite you to do a work deep in our hearts. And Lord, again, may our passion be for you, in you alone. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray God's blessing, God's favor on your life, over your life. And this is what I know. As you begin to address these gods, it's not going to be comfortable. It may be a little painful. But this is what I believe. As you give God the place he desires in his life, in your life, he's going to work in a way that you've never seen, you've never experienced. I'm telling you, it's going to be good. God bless you. Have a great day.